This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. This is a text from the Talmud, um, from Masechet Brachot. Um, So it's coming in the context of blessings that we say over all kinds of everyday occurrences. And this is a saying that we get from the sage Benzoma. He used to say, How much effort the first person exerted before he found bread to eat. He plowed, sowed, reaped, bound sheaves, threshed, winnowed, separated, ground, sifted, kneaded, and baked, and then ate. And I wake up and find all of these prepared for me. How much effort did the first person exert before he found a garment to wear? He sheared, whitened, combed, spun, and wove, and then found a garment to wear. And I wake up and find all of these prepared for me. So I love the way that he takes us through all of the steps from growing wheat through baking bread in order to eat and from shearing wool through ultimately weaving that into a garment to have clothing to wear. And I think it's just a really powerful reminder of some of these things that I think we sometimes take for granted of all of the steps that are involved in us being able to meet our basic needs and all of the complicated systems, because most of us are not doing all of these steps ourselves, at least not all of the time. And that's true also in the time of Benzoma, which I think is important, right? I think sometimes we look back on the past with sort of, I don't know, maybe they're rose-colored glasses or maybe not because maybe we don't actually look upon that fondly. But I think sometimes we imagine the past as like each individual doing all of these things themselves, as opposed to appreciating the way that the ancient world was actually also diversified and people had different skills and took advantage of of each other's skills and trades. But I find it to just be like a really powerful reflection. Yeah, I was actually thinking a similar thing when you read it. Does Ben Zoma really think that the first person did all these things? Or is this a joke or ironic? It seems obvious to me that all of these steps requires a community. Mm -hmm. Perhaps you could, you know, do all of these things and a week later have one loaf of bread. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To me, it seems obvious that there's a whole community of people. And with our modern perspective, we also think of it as an evolutionary process, Mm -hmm. that the first people probably weren't whitening their wool (laughs) (laughs) or combing. There was a step-by-step process Mm -hmm. of actually coming to this refined style of creating either garments or bread. And Benzoma imagines it as happening after we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right, we just started one. doing this. <laughs> um, 
So what do you think? Do you think this is said in a sincere tone or is it also referring to this conflict between the individual and the community? Yeah, I mean, I think it's sincere in the sense of appreciation, right? So I I don't know what Benzoma believed about how humanity got to the place where he finds it. Does he literally believe that after expulsion from the Garden of Eden, Adam woke up the next morning and did all of these things? I'm not sure. (laughs) I think ultimately this is really a tool for appreciating the importance of each of these steps and like the complexity of what it takes to feed and clothe and sustain human civilization. And I think that the gratitude and awe inherent in these questions is real um, and is sincere. I'm not sure, you know, we'd have to ask Benzoma. Uh, I'm not (laughs) sure what he believed sort of historically happened. Right. To add what I think is another really interesting dimension here, all of these different steps both of preparing bread and preparing clothing, are almost identical to, if you look in Mishnah Shabbat, these are almost identical to the various things that are not allowed on Shabbat, to the Melachot of Shabbat, listed in a similar order. So the Mishnah gives us all of the steps of baking bread from beginning to end and all of the steps of making clothing from beginning to end. There are more things on the Mishnah's list also, right? There are 39. We don't have, we don't have 39 here. But I think there's something striking about that, too, of Shabbat as the flip side of this coin. There are so many steps that are needed just to keep people fed and clothed. Um, Even when when some of those steps are hidden from us and we don't necessarily appreciate all of them because we wake up and find all of them prepared for us, there's actually a tremendous amount of labor happening here. Um, And I think Shabbat is a really important reminder of that, even when we're not necessarily doing all of those steps ourselves. Right. Yeah, this text is making me think in so many different directions. And to me, it's really bringing home this conflict between our individual selves and our communal selves. Like a thought that arose for me is one reaction that I've had, and I I don't think I'm the only one, is like, oh man, humanity has made a mess. Let me just go back to like the earth and do my own thing and survive <laughs> on my own. I mean, there's a whole like survivalist movement. So yep. I, I know I'm not the only one who has had this thought. So it's this idea that Everyone else has messed up, but maybe I can go it on my own. And to me, this text is like, all right, you want to go it on your own? Like, time to plow, sow, rebound, bind your sheaves, etc., etc. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes there's an instinct, I think in particular because of the ways that, like, humanity has made a mess of this planet, to find this praiseworthy, mm. right? And so for us to say, like, oh, wow, right, there's there's a value there, right? Like, there's actually some kind of inherent value in doing all of the labor yourself, that that is, a, like, a beautiful and character-building and somehow there's, like, inherent value, I guess, in removing yourself from all of these interconnected systems. I think some of that comes from the ways that these systems can be really damaging to the planet and to all of the people involved. 
But I think that this text really challenges us not to see that independence as a value in and of itself, right? To say that actually there's something really beautiful and sacred about the fact that we need each other and about the fact that we can work together so that each of us, um, right, each of us still contributes to this system and is part of ensuring that everyone has enough to eat and something to wear, right? But this text doesn't actually see it as a good thing to do all of those things yourself. That's definitely not the ideal. Right. Yeah, I really like how you expressed this idea of both gratitude, really appreciating that all of these objects, in this case talking about objects that really make our lives easier and more pleasant, maybe being able to take a moment. And as you said, this is from Brachot, so that's the whole, well, I shouldn't say whole point, that's one of the points of Brachot is the ability to take a beat and feel that gratitude. And we are usually expressing that towards God. So it's very interesting that in this holy book about expressing gratitude towards God, here comes Ben Zoman being like, oh, well, maybe you should feel a little gratitude to your fellow man as well. Yeah. Lahavdil, <laughs> not to compare the Talmud with what I'm about to describe. There's a book by A.J. Jacobs about gratitude. I don't remember what it's called. We could look that up. We can maybe insert that later. But his premise is cultivating gratitude for like each step of a process and like going as far back as he can to like offer gratitude for each step, right? It's in some ways the gratitude angle on this text. So, you know, he like buys a cup of coffee and there's obviously gratitude for the coffee and for the person who made it. And I think sometimes, right, if we're thinking about gratitude for people, that's like sort of where it ends. But he's also thinking about the person who like made the delivery to the coffee shop and the person who grew the coffee beans and the person who invented the like cardboard coffee sleeve so that your fingers don't get burnt, right? He sort of like takes this holistically to figure out like what is actually each step in the process that like has landed him with a hot cup of coffee in his hands that is also not burning his hands and really breaking it down and appreciating that. And we obviously can't live like that all the time because that is totally paralyzing. But I think it's also really important, right? Like there is something really powerful about waking up every day and realizing like, wow, like actually a tremendous amount went into the fact that like I can open my refrigerator and there's food there for me to eat. And I think sometimes we sort of only look at those like first, if we're even thinking about gratitude at all, right? We're lucky if we make it to those first few levels. And I think this text is a reminder of like how much more is hidden beneath that that we sometimes don't even think about. Yeah, definitely. And then the flip side to that, which you also mentioned and I really appreciated, is having a sense of gratitude to oneself, saying, I am part of the group, that what I do allows all these other things to happen. So that's your sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And also having the imagination that others feel gratitude to you yeah, or feel gratitude to your role in the greater group. Yeah. I would have to think that I'm not a farmer and I'm not, I'm not even really frequently a kneader or a baker. 
But I could imagine that, like, reading these texts as reading this text as somebody who does those things frequently might actually be a really profound experience of, like, wow, Ben Zoma and parenthetically, right, the rabbis and Jewish tradition really appreciate the thing that I bring to the table, that actually all of human existence is dependent on this one step that I do. Sure, there are other people doing other steps also, but actually, like, the work that I contribute is worthy of gratitude as well. Right. And I think if we can cultivate that sense of gratitude for all members of our community, but then also feeling gratitude to ourselves or feeling the gratitude of others toward us, to me, that can be a real motivator to continue when we are in a place of fear, Mm -hmm. when we're saying things like I just said, which is like humanity really messed it up. (laughs) (laughs) That takes a very negative view of the community. Like, wow, look what we did as a community. (laughs) But being able to bring it back to that more positive view of community of I'm part of this wonderful thing that's making all these lives better. And so are all these other people. I think that could be a mindset where you can bolster yourself up for the work. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's an antidote to burnout as well. You know, if you're the person who is shearing, right, and you're doing that every day, right, and it feels like and you're looking around and you're like, no one else is shearing, right? right? And I have devoted myself to this thing and I'm doing the same thing every single day. And does it even matter, right? Does anybody care that I'm doing this thing? Is it having any impact, right? All I see is, like, I have these sheep that used to have more wool and now they have less wool, but, like, who even cares, right? What is the impact of that action? And this is, like, a reminder that actually we are operating as part of this interconnected ecosystem. And so, you know, whether it's about fighting climate change or anything else that's really important to us, right? When it feels like we're working on something that's so important and we feel like we're just beating our heads against a wall and, like, nobody's listening or nobody's joining us in that activity, right? Like, this is my thing that I'm doing and why isn't anybody else doing it with me? I think this is an important reminder, actually, that, like, Yes, I'm doing my own thing, and maybe it feels like nobody else is doing it with me, but somebody else is doing their thing, and a third person is doing their thing. And when all of us are doing that together, that, like, ultimately, that's what actually brings about change, right? But I I don't need everybody to do the same thing that I do. I need everybody to do their own thing together. Right. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.